Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello, and welcome to show 613. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Well, Star Wars The Mandalorian is out, and it doesn't come over here until March 2020. Are you kidding? I honestly, honestly gobsmacked and just like so upset that that's the case. Yeah, I can get it. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of, you know what I mean? But is that what they want? Or do they, why don't they just do it all at the same time? It's just, it's just bizarre that, that ah, honestly, I've just stumped at why it hasn't been like released altogether. And why they couldn't just wait with it, you know what I mean? It's just like they've got, they've got, they've got yeah, get, let's get it out. But by all reports, enough of my grumbling. It is, it is good. It is fantastic, to be honest. It is actually really good by all reports. So there you go. Let us know if you've kind of watched it. If you're lucky enough, what do you feel about that? That would be interesting to find out. Drop us a drop us an email, starshipsover at gmail dot com. Is it? Are you in the UK, Europe, where we don't get it till March twenty twenty? By that time, it'll there'll be no excitement. There'll be no, you know what I mean? It's like it's like being invited to a party or finding out about a party three months later. Do you know? Oh, anyway, we've got our own our own little thing here to play. We'll play it all at once. I'll put it out so everyone can hear it. 
So it is Better Child by Imogen Cassidy. Imogen is a bisexual speculative fiction author based in Sydney, Australia. Her short fiction has appeared in Aurelaris. Aurelaris? I can't read. I'm so ungutted. And Andromeda Spaceways, In Flight Magazine. She spends most of her time writing, painting miniatures, listening to podcasts and walking her dog. This story is narrated by Tatiana Gray. Tatiana is a critically acclaimed actress of stage and screen and audio booth. She has been nominated for dozens of fancy awards, but hasn't won a single damn thing. She went to NYU and lives in Brooklyn, New York. You can find her at tatianagray.com. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Beta Child by Imogen Cassidy. Narrated by Tatiana Gray. The first few years were fuzzy. After all, she wasn't truly alive yet. She was told what she could see, insofar as it was seeing when all you were was a bunch of censors. And she recorded what she saw in her memory banks, ready for the pilot to access if she ever wanted to. Occasionally, the pilot would put in random commands that confused her, or would confuse her if she was capable of emotions like confusion. She returned those commands with an error message or a query. Sometimes it was simply a mistype, and the error was corrected and the command was executed. Other times, there was no repeat of the command, and there was the equivalent of silence. She never found out what those commands were supposed to be. The pilot called her Georgie, and she thought of that as her name once she started to be able to think. She was an information bank. The pilot asked her questions. She asked her to map the surrounding asteroids so they could pilot a course through them without damaging the ship. And so she did that. After a time, the pilot would input new codes so that instead of simply giving the locations of the asteroids, Georgie could plot the course herself. New codes were exciting, or they would be exciting if Georgie knew how to get excited. The first few years of those new codes were all to do with the ship and how to pilot it, how to judge fuel levels from the amount of thrust that had been used, how to measure the levels of radiation pouring in through their crude shielding, how to time to the second how long the pilot could spend away from station before she suffered from radiation poisoning. It was all about computing time and judging distance, and working out exactly how much a human body could take in the belt. It was a surprisingly large amount. Humans were resilient. In the third year, the pilot gave Georgie a voice and started programming her to talk back. In the deep black, days away from station, it was nice to hear a voice. What do you think, Georgie? This going to be a big find? Past data and the density readings we are receiving would suggest that the probability of a large uranium deposit is approximately 37%. The pilot sat in a chair that was directly in front of what Georgie thought of as her head. She could not see the pilot, of course, not in the way that humans did. She did not have eyes. But she could hear and she could approximate the position of the pilot's face. She had even learned how to recognize expressions. She remembered the first time she asked questions about it. 
Query. For what reason do humans move their bodies so much when they talk? They were in dock, and the pilot had just finished negotiating a price for the location of a find they had made. A small one, but enough to keep the ship fueled and supplied for a few more months. The pilot liked to say that they lived hand to mouth. Georgie wasn't sure what that meant, although she speculated that it was something to do with food. Did you ask a question, Georgie? You programmed me with the ability to ask questions at random intervals, Annie. I did. I just wasn't sure you were ever going to. I am curious. Are you? That is the expression you taught me to use when I wished to ask a question, Annie. The pilot sighed. I guess I did. What was the question again? I wished to know why humans move their faces and bodies so much when they talk. The pilot sat in the pilot's chair, her face moving into expressions one after another. Like this? Yes, Annie. The pilot's face settled on one expression. Then she started keying in commands. How about I program you with some facial recognition protocols, Georgie? Then you can watch the miners and tell me when they're lying to me. It would be a satisfactory answer to my query, Annie. Okay, then. It took a few days for the pilot to give her the capacity to recognize vocal commands, and then a few months for Georgie to get used to the peculiar way that the pilot delivered them. When she had only received them by text, they were precise and easy to follow. When the pilot spoke, however, she often used more words than were necessary, or pronounced them in different ways, and it took time for Georgie to recognize that she was still asking her to do the same things. She memorized the speech patterns, the ums and the ahs, the occasional swear word, and learned which sounds were superfluous and which were necessary. Her oral receptors were always on, of course. It meant that the pilot could give her orders from anywhere in the small space that was the ship. It also meant that Georgie could hear her when she was not giving orders. At first this was meaningless chatter. If Georgie's name was not spoken at the beginning of an utterance, she was not to treat it as a command. This did not mean Georgie could not hear. Sometimes the pilot cried. Georgie, take us in so I can do a hand scan. I'm going to get suited up. Can I trust you to pilot me safe? Of course. Good girl. Georgie's sensors could feel the tread of the pilot's feet as she moved about the cabin, getting herself into the suit that would protect her both from the possible radiation and the harsh cold of space. Georgie, who at times like this was the ship, moved close enough to the asteroid that the pilot could lower herself onto it and fixed the orbit. The asteroid was on a slow spin, easy to sink with, and there was a certain satisfaction when she informed the pilot that they were ready. Ha! I should let you pilot all the time, Georgie. I'm unnecessary here. That is not true. I am unable to personally investigate the validity of my scans, nor do I have the opposable appendages necessary to operate your equipment. We can always program that into you, Georgie. Might have to if I start losing enough bone density. The pilot keyed in the commands necessary to open the airlock, 
and fastened her helmet over her hair. I think I've got enough in me to build you a robotic arm or two. The other ships might get jealous, though. Ships are inanimate objects and incapable of jealousy, Annie. What about you, Georgie? Are you jealous? I am also incapable of jealousy, Annie. The pilot snorted and stepped into the airlock. When the pilot was outside the ship, it was strange. Because she was keyed into the suit's computer as well as the ship's, it was somewhat like having an extra limb, not that Georgie had limbs, and she was more aware of the pilot than she was when the pilot was inside. The pilot shot a line into the asteroid with her harpoon gun, and the line anchored in the rock. She fastened it securely in its holder, and swung out and down towards the surface of the asteroid. Once she was there, she settled carefully, then disconnected the throw line. Georgie reeled it back in and secured it. It is beautiful out here, Georgie. I wish you could see it. I can see it, Annie. My sensors detect everything that you detect. But you can't see the same way we can. Maybe I should try programming that into you. Would you like that? Extra programming sometimes causes runtime errors, Annie. Uh, sometimes runtime errors are worth it, Georgie, my love. The pilot took out her scanner and started doing sweeps. Am I facing in the right direction? Adjust your heading, 0.85 degrees, Annie. The deposit is 100 meters ahead of you. Thanks, Georgie. The pilot started off in that direction. Georgie compared her movement to previous similar missions. It was obvious she was moving more slowly than normal. Is there a problem, Annie? Of course not, Georgie. Why do you ask? You are moving at less than your average velocity. The pilot's movement was continuing to slow, and Georgie felt a surge in her memory banks as she attempted to make connections and draw conclusions. No, I'm not. You're imagining things. I am not capable of imagining, Annie. The pilot gave a dry chuckle. Bullshit. The pilot reached the point of the deposit and kneeled. She needed to drill a hole in the rock in order to reach a point where the sensor equipment could take an accurate reading, and she assembled the drill quickly and methodically. I do not understand, Annie. The pilot's voice came out in short bursts. Assembling the drill was heavy work and required some exertion on her part. I call bullshit on your not being able to uh, imagine things, Georgie. You're not that different from me when it all boils down to it. I am a collection of circuits and programming, Annie. You live and breathe. The pilot panted out a laugh as she worked. There's more to living than breathing, Georgie. Indeed, there is the capacity for reproduction. There is the instinct for survival. There is, I've got the drill in place, uh, gonna move to a safe distance now. Given the structure of the asteroid, you need to be approximately 60 meters away to be safe. I suggest 100 to adjust for margins of error. You don't make errors, Georgie. I would still suggest moving the full 100 meters, Annie. You take such good care of me. The pilot did as Georgie had asked, 
then activated the drill. The vibrations shook the debris and dust into space in eerie silence, but the clamps held, and the drill did not detach. We need to reach ten meters in order to get an accurate reading, Annie. It should take approximately two hours, Annie. Aware of that, Georgie, my girl. Annie, you should return to the ship. The drill is secure. There is no need for you to remain on the asteroid. Are you worried about me, Georgie? You have programmed me to remind you of safety regulations, Annie. Remind me to program you to shut up when I'm enjoying a view, Georgie. I apologize if I have offended Annie. Georgie, you can't offend me. You are human. You are capable of taking offense. But you're mine, and I will always choose not to. Georgie was puzzled. It was not the first time Annie had claimed ownership of her. It was, of course, completely true. The ship was Annie's. She had built it from scratch, the way all miners from Beta Station built their ships. She had installed Georgie and reprogrammed her. Georgie knew other ships had computers, but none of them seemed to speak to their pilots, and none of them had a name. Are you going to come inside, Annie? No, Georgie. I'm going to wait right here, and before you say anything, I'm aware that I'm using up oxygen, and I know that this is a waste of the suit's power, but I'm thinking this will be a good find, and if it's good enough, well... You will not have to come out here again, Georgie finished for her. Exactly, Georgie, exactly. So I figure I better enjoy it. Breathe in the free space air. There is no air in space, Annie. The pilot sat down gingerly on the hard stone of the asteroid and laughed, anchoring herself so she did not shake herself into space with the movement. You're right, of course. There is no air in space, Georgie. Two hours later, the drill reached ten meters, and the pilot made her way back to it. She lowered the sensor bundle and started taking readings. Georgie pulled in the figures and collated them, matching them to previous finds, calculating. It's a big one, Georgie. It is larger than all of our previous finds combined, Annie. The pilot chuckled. What do you want for Christmas, then? I do not require any gifts, Annie. I'll think of something, don't worry. I know what I want. One of those fancy rim apartments on Alpha Station? The ones that face Earth? I'll download you into the house system and build you a mobile platform. What do you say? I have never been outside the ship, Annie. Well, we'll keep it, of course, Georgie. Need something to go on joyrides in. <laughs> we'll probably be bored. Rich and bored. Can't imagine the conversation will be too good with all those stuffy alpha types, can you? I would think they would have little in common with you, Annie. Too bloody right. Annie pulled out her data pad and started work on the locator beacon. They would go back to station and sell the location to whichever miner bid the highest. Given the size of the find and its relative closeness to the station, it would be worth a great deal of money. That was, of course, only if they managed to get back. The other ship arrived just as the pilot was finishing her coding. 
Georgie only had time to deliver a warning before the shot was fired. Annie was blown off the asteroid, atmosphere venting from her suit. Emergency seals clamped down around the wound. Annie had a good suit, but nothing could stop the passing chunk of rock from slamming into her side. The scavenger, whose ship was no doubt parked on the opposite side of the asteroid and out of Georgie's view, started to collect the pilot's equipment, heedless of Annie's screeching at him. Of course, he could not hear her. Annie's suit was connected only to Georgie. Georgie did not have time to think. She fired thrusters, hard enough to outpace Annie and managed to get behind her. Annie, you must move to the airlock, she said. Fucking leech! Fucking fuck! He's gonna take our find, Georgie! He's gonna fucking rob us! Annie, you need to get inside the ship. Your suit is damaged and you are bleeding. Fucking fucker! I'm not going anywhere until I blow him off that fucking asteroid, Georgie! Annie, please. The pilot did not respond. Georgie felt the tread of her boots on her outside hull as the pilot pushed herself off, back towards the asteroid, drawing her gun as she did so. The scavenger, of course, heard nothing of this at all. He considered Annie dead. Ships did not move on their own without pilots. This was accepted fact. If Annie had been any other pilot, she would not have survived. Georgie could hear Annie's shriek of defiance as she landed back on the asteroid, snapping a clamp in place to steady her. She saw the bright flash as she fired her gun at the scavenger, killing him instantly. She heard Annie's desperate panting as she began collecting her instruments. Annie, if you stay outside with a tear in your suit, you will die, Georgie said. Give me a minute, Georgie. I'll get this fine sorted and then you can lecture me all the way back. Annie, your oxygen is depleted. You must return now. A few more seconds. Georgie opened the airlock and moved back into position. Annie gathered the last of the instruments and then pushed off back towards Georgie. She hit the side of the ship once before dragging herself through the airlock, which Georgie snapped shut as soon as she was inside. Annie, are you all right? I'm just... The pilot managed to release the seal on her helmet and take a gasp of air. Annie? The pilot floated in the middle of the cabin, frozen blood thawing around the wound on her arm. Red globules hung in the cabin as Annie gently spun. Annie, can you hear me? Georgie, honey, it's past your bedtime. You gotta eat your dinner. Annie, you are delirious. And you are wounded. You need to reach the first aid kit and bandage yourself. I believe you have lost too much blood. Georgie, I don't want to argue with any more. Georgie could not panic. It was not part of her programming. But she did not know how to get past Annie's delirium. Annie, please. What is it, honey? Annie, you are injured. The pilot looked down at her arm. Oh, well, fuck me. Annie, I am unable to help you. The pilot shook her head, blinking her eyes. She took a deep breath and seemed to calm somewhat. Then she chuckled. I guess I should have given you those arms, hey, kid? Annie, can you get to the first aid kit? I can, just... 
Give me a second. The pilot moved slowly, obviously in pain, as she assembled the things necessary to attend to her wound. She stripped off the suit, and Georgie could see there was a long, deep graze in her upper arm, which hung uselessly. It seeped blood, but did not seem serious enough for her to have lost consciousness. It was when the suit came off completely that the other wound became visible. A purpling bruise on her side, where she had been hit by passing debris. Georgie ran through databases, searching for the probable cause. "'You may have broken ribs, Annie,' she said. "'You will need to bind your chest, as well as your arm.' Annie nodded. "'You will have to stay stationary. If your rib is broken, you do not want it to puncture your lung.' "'When did I program you with triage protocols?' Seven months, six days, four hours, and twenty-eight minutes ago, Annie. Annie laughed, then coughed, then groaned. I better stop talking and get to work, eh? That would be the wisest course of action, Annie. The pilot anchored herself on the cot, shivering from blood loss and shock. Georgie turned up the heat. Get us back to station, Georgie. It'd be stupid if we lost the fine now. As you say, Annie. On the second day out from station, Annie started complaining that she was thirsty. You lost blood, Annie, Georgie said. You need to replace fluids. We have enough for you to drink a liter extra each day until we reach port. Ugh, I want vodka, not water. That would be unwise, Annie. You will become even more dehydrated. What are you, my mom? Georgie paused. If anything, the logical conclusion would be that you are my parent, Annie. She did not mention the words Annie had spoken in delirium. She did not mention her database, which held letters addressed to Earth that were never sent. Many hundreds of them. The pilot was still very weak, and Georgie was now certain she had internal injuries that were not receiving adequate medical attention. She was silent for a long time, and Georgie began to think she had lost consciousness again. Her reply, when it came, was very quiet. I guess I am, Georgie. On the last day out from station, Annie lapsed back into delirium. You went away, she said. You left me and never came back. Annie, I am right here. I am part of the ship, Annie. No, 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 Georgie, honey. I was going to bring it all back for you and then... And then, um... Annie, you are not making sense. I fear you are delirious. I love you, Georgie. Don't leave me again. I cannot leave you, Annie. Georgie found Annie's tears disturbing. You will make yourself dehydrated again, Annie. The pilot cried harder. Annie, you're coming in too fast. The station communications officer was usually Jen. Once upon a time she had been a pilot, like Annie, but she'd lost one leg and one of her arms on a mining trip and didn't want to go back to the surface. No place for people like us, Annie. 
she'd said. We've lost too much. She was a friend of Annie's. Georgie knew this because Annie had brought her to the ship once. They'd consumed large amounts of alcohol and talked for many hours. She was also the only station tech who talked to them when they were coming or leaving. The others just accepted commands and gave them out, or let the computers handle them. Jen preferred a more personal approach. Georgie was glad it was Jen on duty. Requesting emergency birth. Georgie knew the protocols. She'd never come into station on her own before, but she had watched the pilot do it exactly 79 times since she had first become aware she was watching. Annie, you have to slow down. Annie is injured. This is Georgie. Georgie? Jen knew about Georgie. As far as Georgie knew, she was the only other person on Beta who did. Can't tell Station about having an AI on board, Georgie. They get funny about machines that can think for themselves. Are you flying the ship by yourself? Georgie did not wish to make Jen concerned, or she would not assign them a lane. Rogue ships and scavengers were difficult to spot, and once they were docked, they could do a lot of damage very quickly. Caution was routine. I am requesting an emergency berth. What happened, Georgie? I can transmit a recording of the incident if you wish, Station, but Annie requires medical attention. Please clear an approach lane. There was a burst of electronic chatter as Georgie was assigned a lane. Georgie? How are you flying the ship? Annie has programmed me with extensive emergency protocols. Please confirm that there will be a medic waiting for us when we dock. I'm sending someone down to collect Annie and bring her to medical as soon as you're stable. Can you tell me what happened? She was attacked by a scavenger while finalizing data from a find. She has lapsed in and out of consciousness several times over the past three days. I managed to persuade her to bandage her wound, but I do not believe she has done so adequately. Also, I suspect internal injuries. There was a pause. Where was the find? That information is not available to any but Annie. Has she coded it? She has not authorized me to release it. Georgie, if she dies, she won't be able to authorize you to release it. Then it will not be released, Jen snorted. She programmed you just like her, Georgie. Paranoid as fuck. Thank you, Jen. There was another pause. This was not unusual. Station did not require idle chatter on approach, but to Georgie it was different. Jen and Annie usually swapped stories and exchanged insults. Of course, Jen had other ships and other things to attend to, but the silence bothered Georgie more than it should. It took another hour for Georgie to dock. The clamps slid home and the station computer confirmed that the connection was secure. Jen usually sent a verbal confirmation as well when they were safely clamped. This time she sent nothing. 
Georgie supposed that Jen did not think she had to send a confirmation, not when Georgie was handling things. Removal of the human element meant removal of any likelihood of error. There was a man waiting outside the station airlock, just as Jen had said there would be. Annie was very strict about not letting others on the ship without her permission. If Georgie did not let him in, Annie would die. She opened the airlock. The man stepped inside. He looked big in the small space. Annie had built her ship for herself, not for others, and Georgie did not think a man had ever set foot inside before. It felt wrong. It was worse when he did not go to Annie the way Georgie was expecting. Instead, he sat in the pilot's chair and started keying in commands. He cut off her communications channel. Georgie felt a surge in her memory banks. This was not the behavior of a medic, nor was it the behavior of someone Jen would have sent to help Annie. What are you doing? The man startled at the sound of her voice, his hands stilling on the keyboard. Holy shit! He looked behind him as though he expected another person to appear. What are you doing? Georgie repeated. The man's confusion ebbed, and he relaxed back into the pilot's seat, smiling. Ah, she's programmed a voice interface, says she. Clever girl. He started typing again. He was attempting to get into her records. Georgie blocked him. I requested that Jen send someone to take Annie to medical. I know, I heard, lucky me, eh? I was going to take over from Jen's shift, and there she is, chatting to a little friend about a find. Big one at that if it caught the attention of a scavenger. Bad luck for her, eh? Where is the medic? Nah, medic, come in this way, sugar. He continued to try to access her records. Georgie continued to block him. They're all busy in medical, doing medical things, and... Jen's having a nap. She likes me to bring her a drink when I take over. Good thing I'm always prepared. He continued typing in commands, a small frown creasing his forehead. I'm just going to relieve you of this location and I'll be on my way. No need to tell anyone. You cannot access my systems. Sweetheart, I can access anyone's systems. The man's voice sounded a little uncertain, and his frown deepened. Georgie started searching through Annie's onboard database. They had as close to a complete list of Beta Station residents as it was possible to get. Most pilots did. It wasn't too hard, when everyone was logged as soon as they arrived. Even Beta saw the importance of that. It was useful to know as much as possible about the people who shared the dark with you. You never knew when you might need help. Hey, you've got some pretty good firewalls here, haven't you, old girl? Not so worry, I'll get through them. The man was quite skilled with computers, but he didn't know that Georgie was autonomous. She had complete control. He was merely a human. Georgie shut off power to her displays. You need to leave now. He raised his hands. Georgie had continued to search through her database. Hayden Baker... Age 42, occupation engineer. What the... What the hell are you doing? Criminal record on Earth for breaking and entering. 
one case of assault against a minor. Who the hell are you? What kind of crazy joke is this? Sentence served. Community service. Arrived beta station on the 16th of February, 2102. You stop that right now! I know everything about you. If you do not wish it to be broadcast to the whole of Beta Station, you will leave and find a medic for my pilot. He chuckled nervously. I'm not going anywhere until you release the location of the fine lady. I don't care what you are. Georgie considered. She needed to word this carefully. If you get my pilot medical attention... I will release the location of the find. The man smiled. Now you're talking, but I like that to happen the other way round. No. The man stood up and moved to where Annie lay on her cot. She was breathing evenly, but still unconscious. Georgie had convinced her to put on the suit, patched, so it was spaceworthy again, in case she was unable to pilot them all the way safely home. The man ran his eyes all over Annie. How long has she been unconscious? You do not require that information. You have no medical training. If you get her the medical attention she needs, I will release the location of the find to you. He shook his head, clicking his tongue against his teeth. She looks bad. Probably won't make it. I will not release the location until you find her medical attention. The man reached out and touched Annie's neck. She might die before the attention gets here. I will not release the location until you find her medical attention. What if I kill her now? What if the only way you get her well is by releasing that information right now? Georgie shut the airlock. The man looked up. Puzzled. What are you doing? I am venting oxygen. My pilot has her own supply in her suit. Even in her current state, you will die well before she does, at which point I will open the airlock again and wait for station command to notice the stench of your rotting corpse. Jesus! He scrambled towards the airlock but could not open it. He made it into the pilot's seat and started desperately typing in commands. Georgie brought power back on to one of the screens. Reinstate my communications and leave, or you will die. Fuck that! He continued to attempt to bypass her systems and continued to fail. He started to sweat and gasp as the oxygen levels fell. I am quite capable of speeding up the process should you care to die sooner rather than later. He bashed his hands on the keyboard. You're not serious! This is some kind of sick joke! Some kind of safety protocol! There's no way! I am incapable of humor. Restore my communications and leave, or you will die. Fucking stupid! Computer can't do it! He lost consciousness. A short time later, Georgie opened the airlock, and station air brought him around, slumped in the pilot's chair a trickle of blood oozing from one nostril where he had hit his head on the keyboard. He had not been long enough without oxygen for permanent brain damage, but it had been long enough to convince him that it was in his best interest to do as Georgie asked, especially after she showed him the recording of everything he had done after boarding the ship. The medic arrived soon after and took Annie away to be treated. 
Georgie spent the time that Annie was away calibrating systems. Jen kept her updated on Annie's progress and the state of her injuries, although the first time Georgie requested information, she laughed nervously. There was chatter on the station, she said, about Georgie's bluff with Hayden. People were afraid to come near her berth. Georgie did not bother to inform Jen that she had not been bluffing. Four days later, Annie returned, looking a little pale, but triumphant, and slid into the pilot's seat. Her hands spread on the keys lovingly and slowly, and she took a deep breath. There was a bandage on her arm and another around her middle, and she moved slowly, but she would heal. "'Are you there, Georgie, my love?' Georgie did not hesitate. "'I'm here, Mom.'" Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And there you go. There you go. Indeedy. Big thank you to Imogen. Imogen, thank you so much. And Tatiana. You are a star. Thank you. I'm just lovely to have you on. Do you know what I mean? It's just a regular is an amazing thing. Thank you indeed. So that's today's show. You know what I mean? Like you say, I hope you enjoyed it. I'm still fuming about Star Wars. I even, I was that kind of, I, had, I dropped Amy an email. You know what I mean? Just, Amy, what, what's it like? Are you enjoying it? Do you know what I mean? Because Amy's me touch paper, especially when like, I can't even get it. And yes, it's it's all firing on, on cylinders for Amy as well. So, We'll just have to wait and see. Do you know what I mean? I like the idea of a different, you know, a different slant on the story. You know, not the main characters. I loved Rogue One. I thought Rogue One was absolutely fantastic. The last Star Wars, I forget what the film was. I didn't like that at all. I thought that was a waste of time and just terrible, to be quite honest. But 
hopefully this is going down that Rogue One path, this Mandalorian. We will wait and see. Let us hear your thoughts anyway. Starshipsilver at gmail.com. And don't forget, Patreon, man. Come on, if you listen to this, a couple of dollars a week, it will be fantastic. Keep this old girl going. Until next week, just like I say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.